Good morning, church. Thank you for tuning in to the Oasis Church online worship. I know you guys are spread out throughout the city, hunkered down in your homes, and yet today is a day of worship. God has called his house to be a house of prayer, and we know through 1 Corinthians that this body has become the temple of the Holy Spirit. So wherever you are, we can join together in the Spirit and worship Jesus in spirit and in truth. As we get started this morning, I just want to put a couple of announcements before you just kind of lay some groundwork for us as a church. Um, After talking to the medical experts and continuing to pray through Scripture, uh, we have come to the conclusion that it is going to be best and most loving and most God-honoring if we cancel home groups in person for the next two weeks. Um, What we're learning about this virus every single day changes, and so we're really going day by day. However, Dr. David Danson, or uh, some of you guys may know David Danson, is setting up for us this week some online communities. So there's a program called Zoom, and you can access it through a web browser. And we're going to try and get some links up on our website so that you can meet together online and communicate and discuss the reading plan, et cetera, et cetera. And so we're really excited about that. Church, I have no doubt in my mind that right now the Lord is rearranging the chess pieces of this world. Um, He's constantly at work. He is sovereign. He is good. And we have nothing to fear. And so as we take a little bit of a hiccup in how we do church, what we want to do over the next several weeks, however long that we have to um, abide by these rules, abide by these standards to help keep people safe, we want to begin to ask the question, Lord, What are you shaping in our congregation? What do you want us to become? How are you moving us? Because even now, sitting in your home, you're connected with your church. We're gathering together. Some of you guys have been commenting in the comment section just right over here. You have been communicating. And that's what we're going to ask you to do this week. As an action point for us as a church, we would like you to reach out to as many people in the church as you can and ask them, how are you doing? Do you have any needs? What can I get you? Is there a way I can serve you safely in light of the virus? And then I would encourage you as well that they will know us by the love we have for one another, but they will also know us by the love we have uh, for our neighbors. And so I would encourage you, love your neighbor the way you are loving yourself in these times of crisis. Reach out, ask them if they need any help, encourage them, pray for them, seek their good. Um, And we know that God is going to honor the things that are done in his name like that. And so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us. And I would like you to join me wherever you're at this morning and pray with me that the Lord would use this time to shape our hearts by his word. We have an amazing passage of scripture, John 16 this morning. And so would you pray with me about what we're about to hear and what God's doing um, in the midst of this virus. Father God, we know that you are holy. We know that you are perfectly good. We know that nothing happens outside of your sovereign rule and reign. And we know that you are loving. God, this virus has not caught you by surprise. Lord, this virus is something that you are using to glorify yourself by moving your church into service and love. God, we pray for the men and women across this city who do not know your name, 
who are nervous and scared. They don't have a future hope in Christ. Lord, would you put us in direct contact as best we can underneath your safety and provision, Lord, to minister to those who are lost. God, would you do what only you can do? We love you. And, and Father, this morning as we study your word, would you help this be a, an exciting time as we discover who you are according to the book of John? Lord, use your word to shape us, encourage us, exhort us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen, amen. All right, I, I wanna start by telling you a story. I got this story from Dennis Watson yesterday and I've already forgot the source where he told me, but it, it struck me so deeply and I wanna share it with you. A pastor was getting on an airplane and as the airplane took off, the pilot comes over the headset and he tells the congregation, uh, he's not the congregation, he tells the people on the airplane, hey, we're going to experience some rough turbulence as we move from port A to port B. So we're flying and we're going to hit some bumpy air. And so about halfway through the flight, the plane starts to shake and then the plane starts to jump. And then there's times where they get hit with a blast of wind and the plane shoots straight up. There's other times where they hit these, uh, these uh, just dead airs and the plane's falling through the air. Everyone on the plane's freaking out, including the past. The pastor's sitting there praying, Lord, don't let me die, don't let me die. You got people screaming, you got children just like yelling bloody murder. And as the pastor's sitting here and thinking about how this might be the last time he ever gets on a plane, he looks and three seats up over to his left, there's a little girl and she's sitting down and she's reading a book and she's perfectly calm. Every bump, every dip, and he begins to watch her and sometimes she would close her eyes and she'd open them and she'd continue to read. Perfectly calm. Well, every 20 minutes, the, the, the pilot would come on the intercom and say, hey, we're still experiencing turbulence, but don't worry. We're going to be okay. Just keep your seatbelts on and we're going to be fine. Every 20 minutes. And the man continued to watch as his heart leapt up and down in his chest with the air and how he began to wonder, how could this little girl, how could this little girl be so calm? Well, when they got to the gate, the pastor knew that he had uh, to ask her. And so he walks up to her and he says, uh, little girl, I couldn't help but notice that during the flight, you were so calm. How were you able to do that? And the little girl looked up into the pastor's eyes and said, because my father's the pilot. And he said, we were going to be okay. And he was flying me home. This morning, we get another glimpse, another look at who God is. Who is God? Who is Father God? How do you know that you know him? Because with, if you know God, if you know his son, if you're sealed by his spirit, you will be able to ride any catastrophe anytime because you know who's flying the plane. And the book of John from chapter one to chapter 16, has been a book of revealing the nature of God. If you remember in chapter one, we get introduced to this character, the word. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was who? The word was God. So this word is connected to God. In fact, God and the word are somewhat inseparable. And yet the scripture of John begins to draw out this mystery of the nature of God, that God is one God, and yet he also consists of different persons within his 
godness. And so he is one in essence, but he has distinct persons. And so the first two persons you meet in this story, and for a lot of John, is you know the Father and you know the Son. And so we know that the Word takes on flesh, becomes the incarnation, is Jesus. And the book of John's primary purpose is to reveal to us that Jesus is divine. That Jesus is not just a good teacher, that he's not just a good philosopher, that he doesn't have a bunch of self-help, he's not a healer. He is first and foremost the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is God in the flesh. And yet the Son is distinctly different from the Father. And so the Father is sending the Son, and the Son is submitting himself to the Father. And yet what we'll see is that the Son is going to be exalted back to the level of the Father. He's come down, he's going to become a servant, and then he's going to come back and take his rightful, co-equal place within the Godhead. And in, in, in Christian language, we are what the Bible Uh, describes, but never says this word explicitly, is we are Trinitarian. We believe that God reveals himself as one God, but in three distinct persons. Now, up until this point in John, you've only been introduced to two. In chapter 14, you were introduced to the Spirit. And today we want to ask the question, how do we know that God is Trinity? How do we know that the Spirit is a part of the Godhead? And why is the Trinity so important? That's going to be just part one. And then the second part is, who is the Holy Spirit? And what are the implications of his ministry on your life? Why has he come? And here's what I want you to learn this morning, if you take nothing else away. The little girl who's sitting on that plane could walk without fear because she knew the voice of her father. Her father's flying the plane. It's his voice that's in her ears. The primary purpose of the Holy Spirit is to seal you for salvation and introduce you and teach you the voice of God. He's gonna teach you how to look into the scriptures and know that you know who God is. So that's where we're headed this morning. We're gonna talk about Trinity briefly. Then we're gonna talk about the Holy Spirit a lot. And then we're gonna talk about what he does and how it moves us into worship and into truth. So here we go. I'm gonna read the passage. We're gonna start in the very end of 15 and then we're gonna work our way all the way through about halfway through 16. So if you have your Bibles, open to John chapter 15, verse 26. Uh, Verse 26 says this, But when the Helper comes, whom I will send you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me, and you also will bear witness, because you have been with me from the beginning. Now skip over 16, 1 through 4. We're going to start in verse 5. But now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me where you were going. But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And we're going to wrap up in 12 and 13. I still have many things to say to you, 
but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth, for he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Wow. So we just got a huge look at the Holy Spirit's ministry. Let's start and talk about the Godhead. God is one. We learned this back in Deuteronomy with the Shema, where one of the ancient professions of Israel is, Behold, Israel, the Lord your God is one. And yet, when we get to John, we're given this full look at Trinity. Now, it's very explicit. In John chapter 1, the Word is God. And God then becomes these two characters moving through John. You have Jesus who says, I and the Father are one. Our essence is one. We are the same. And yet I have been sent from the Father to accomplish the will of the Father. And so he has uh, condescended. He's come down to pursue the ministry of revealing God to Israel that he is the Messiah. And so verses you might look at to understand that Jesus is God and the Father is God might be in John chapter 10, verse 40, where he says, I and the Father are one. Now, what happens when he says this? The Pharisees pick up stones to kill him. And he asks them, for what good deed are you trying to kill me? And the Pharisees say very clearly, they say, look, it's not what you're doing. It's what you just said about who you are. You just claimed to be God. And this is Jesus' claim. His claim is, I am God, and I am a part of the Godhead. And so we get this picture throughout the early parts of John that the Father is a major character, the Son is a major character, and now we get introduced to the Spirit. Now, why is it important that we understand God as Trinity? There are many concepts, and we don't have time to dive deep, deep, deep into the Trinity this morning. But know this, the Trinity exists as three co-equal persons inside of one Godhead. So they are one God, and yet they are three distinct persons, and they are co-equal in majesty, glory, and community. So when God says in, in the scriptures that I am love, that God is love, Love is a relational component of God that pre-exists creation. And so when you think about God, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and they perfectly love one another. In fact, they are in absolute perfect unity and perfect community. And this is what makes his extending his grace in relationship down to us even more beautiful. He doesn't have to. He's already perfectly unified, perfectly in community. He is perfect. And yet in his perfection, he chooses to show mercy and grace to his creatures. It's a beautiful thing. And so the spirit is a part of the Godhead. Who is the spirit? How do we know that the Holy Spirit is actually a part of the Godhead? I want to talk a little bit about his name and about his role. And then I want to show you some clues in this passage that make it very certain. Um, and we can do a whole systematic of the New Testament to really draw out the Spirit. But we get some big clues in John that we are not just looking at some random uh, force or, or an it or something other than God. But we are looking at God himself. Take a look at chapter 15 
It says, but when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. Now let's talk about this helper. Um, The Greek word for helper is parakletos, and parakletos is a really, really hard word to translate into English because it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a big word. It has a lot of implications. And so some people will uh, translate this word, not helper, but counselor. And so parakletos kind of has a legal sense to it, that the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, he comes and he counsels or he helps or he comforts. And so one of his roles could be all of those words dialed into one, that he's come to counsel us in terms of God's truth. He's come to help us in terms of God's truth. He's come to comfort us in light of what Jesus was just talking about, which is persecution. And so last time I was with you guys in person, we talked about the persecution of the saints. The Holy Spirit, one of his roles is to comfort the persecuted, those who are persecuted uh, because of their faith and their testimony in Christ. So this word is broad. Now we also see that while he is named the helper or the counselor or the comforter, he also is called the spirit of truth. Now of truth is a prepositional phrase. It means that the spirit himself, it comes from truth. Um, and you'll remember in John, well not yet, but in, it's coming. It says that God will sanctify us by his word. His word is truth. We know that Jesus revealed himself in grace and truth. The Spirit is doing something very interesting. He is connected with what is true. Now, how do we know that the Holy Spirit, the Helper, the Paraclete, the Spirit of truth, how do we know that he's God? How do we not know that this isn't just an angelic being or some sort of um, godlike force? Like, How do we know that this Spirit himself is actually a person within the Godhead. And there's a couple reasons. One is, and this is the geeky version, uh, not the geeky version, but the geeky fact. It says, he will bear witness about me. For whatever reason, John does not use a neuter pronoun. It means he doesn't call this some undefined object in it. He uses a personal pronoun. The spirit is a he. The spirit has identity. The spirit is given personhood. And so the spirit of truth is without fail, given the uh, personal pronoun of he. The second is this. How do we know that the spirit is actually uh, from God? Well, partially, we can look at Jesus's ministry and then see that the exact same language that's used for Christ to to determine his coming from the Father, his coming from the Godhead, down condescending to be with us in the flesh, is the same language we see when we talk about the Spirit. I want to just remind us, John chapter 8, this is what it says um, in verses 23 through 30. Let me just turn back a page. It says this, He said to them, You are from below. Now this is Jesus talking. I am from above. You are of this world. I am not of this world. I told you that you would die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. So they said to him, well, who are you? Jesus said to them, just what I have been telling you from the beginning. I have much to say about you and much to judge, but he who sent me is true. 
He who sent me is true. The very being of God, the Father who sends the Son, is true. Now let's just take a look. Who will the Son send from the Father? The Spirit of truth. This distinct personhood who is also true, who is proceeding from the Father. So just as the Son proceeded from the Father, a distinct personality within the Godhead, but God himself made flesh in the Son, proceeds from the Father, and we get the exact same language for the Spirit, that the Spirit will also proceed from the Father and he will be truth. So we might look just a little bit deeper. John 8 is an awesome chapter if you want to go back and reread. He tells them, in John 8, 42, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. For I came from God and I am here. I came not on my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is it because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. So we're going to come back to that passage, an important passage to understand what the Holy Spirit does. Jesus comes from God. Jesus comes to reveal God. Jesus is truth. And now we see that the Spirit is going to proceed from the Father at the request of the Son, and he also is truth. The Spirit is going to parallel Jesus's ministry. In fact, Jesus is going to talk about the Spirit as we get down into chapter 16. He says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the paraclete, the helper, the comforter will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world. Now let's look. Jesus' ministry was to come and reveal the Father and give access to the Father. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? And we're about to talk about his ministry, that he is coming to reveal God and reveal the Son so that through the Son, we can have faith and receive eternal life to be with the Father, that we can spend eternity with God. And so we need all three persons of the Godhead to have a full, complete relationship with the Lord. And this is important because God has revealed himself as Trinity. And so when we don't think of God as Trinity, we are actually omitting the relational component with God that he's called us to. Um, I'm, not just, uh, I'm not just married to my wife's left side, right side, her arm or her leg. I'm married to all of her. And so we want to know God completely and fully as he's revealed himself. So what is the ministry of the Holy Spirit? I, this is where we want to spend a majority of our time. Um, the Holy Spirit has such a special role such an incredible, powerful role that Jesus himself says, it is better that I am in heaven sitting at the right hand of the Father and that the Holy Spirit is actually here with you doing his ministry. I want you to think about how actually controversial that is. Jesus says it's better for you to have the Holy Spirit than to have him sitting right next to you in your home right now. So if you could reach over and touch Jesus but not have the Holy Spirit, you would be lacking. You would be of more advantage to have the Holy Spirit and not have your hand on Jesus' shoulder. Why is that? Why is that? Well, part of that has to do with what the Holy Spirit has come to do. 
Let's look at his ministry. The ministry of the Holy Spirit is this. He has come to testify about Jesus. He's come to empower the testimony of the saints. He's come to convict the world of three very specific things, sin, righteousness, and judgment. He's called to lead us into truth, and he has come to make us holy by the truth of God's word. Now let's break those down. He's come to testify about Jesus. What we know throughout John is that Jesus testified about himself, and he also had the testimony of the Father. And so he would say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to God except through me. And when the Spirit comes, he's going to empower the testimony of the Scriptures so that the name of Jesus will pierce the hearts of those who hear the gospel. The Holy Spirit is coming to empower the ministry of the gospel. And so that's why it says in verse 26, when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, he will bear witness about me. Now what else has he come to do? It says, when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So we need to understand something about us in order to understand the Holy Spirit. We are utterly sinful without God. And the Bible, especially in John, describes that as existing in darkness. It would be as if all the lights were off, as if you were looking at a black screen. It would be like trying to watch the news with no sound, no light. It would be impossible to have knowledge of God without God's intervention. Why? Because we are sinful. The Holy Spirit comes to convict us, show us, reveal in us that we are sinners opposed to God. When you hear the testimony of Jesus, why he came, he comes to die on a cross to atone for sins that you and I have committed against God, that we stand condemned, that we deserve eternal punishment, and yet through Christ we may have eternal life. We cannot understand that without the ministry, the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Now, two things will happen. We know that in the Old Testament, that God says, I'm gonna take your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. I'm gonna pour my spirit out on you in these last days. He says, I'm going to reveal to you salvation. So when we are facing our sin, when we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, this is the first thing the Holy Spirit does. He either hardens the heart of unbelievers in their unbelief or he softens the heart of the believer so that they may have faith. How do I know I know Jesus? How do you know this? This is one of the questions the Holy Spirit bears witness about. I know I know Jesus if the Spirit of God reveals my sin and I don't run to the dark, but rather I long for the light. The Spirit reveals my sin. He convicts me of my sin and he draws me into repentance. This is the first thing that the Holy Spirit does. He reveals truth and then he draws men and women who are being saved by faith into repentance. The second thing he convicts us of is righteousness. Now righteousness may seem counterintuitive. How could righteousness be something that I'm convicted of? But you have to understand the audience in whom uh, Jesus is talking about. You're looking at a Jewish system 
that has a whole set of laws given by God. Those laws are good. Those laws are right. Those laws are about to be fulfilled on the cross. And so that's why Jesus says back in 16, verse uh, chapter 3, and they will do these things because they have not known the Father, says they will put you out of the synagogues in verse 2. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he's offering a service to God. And so some of us will live our lives trying to be righteous on our own accord, and it has to be revealed to us that our works are not enough to merit salvation. But rather, our righteousness is, as Paul will say, dirty rags. Our righteousness is as dirty rags. And God is going to reveal this to those who believe they are righteous on their own. And so you've got one person who is a sinner and doesn't know he's a sinner. The sin is revealed to him and he's drawn to repentance. There's another man who's trying to abide by God's law and yet in the law, he's actually experiencing death because he hasn't put faith in the testimony of the son. And so God has to reveal to him, you've missed it. That's not the purpose of the law. The purpose of the law was to do what? Reveal your sin so that you can repent and come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit convicts us of our righteousness. Church, we got to ask the question, man. This, this is a crazy time. So many churches, and we're, not, we're no different. We, we fought tooth and nail to keep church service because the Bible commands us to gather. And yet, should we elevate the law of gathering above the law of love that is in Christ? It's one of the reasons why we've decided not to have church service in person because our love for one another dictates that we look out for one another. It dictates that we look out for our neighbor and we love our neighbors ourselves. It dictates that we obey the governing authorities. We could pretend to be righteous and gather and gather a hundred people in this room and yet we would have missed the conviction of the Holy Spirit that God wants us to love and move. And sometimes that means not doing the thing that was righteous, but rather pressing into what is righteous. The last thing the Spirit convicts is he convicts us about judgment. Now, I want you to read verse nine with me. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. That the sin that comes from unbelief, the Spirit comes to either give us belief or harden our hearts. Verse 10 says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father, you'll see me no longer. So it's easy to fall back into religiosity. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. And here's what we need to understand. If I am not in Christ, I will stand before God and I will be eternally punished alongside my father, the devil. If I do not have Christ, if the Father of heaven has not given me new birth, through the gospel, then my father is Satan and I will experience the same eternal torment alongside him. The spirit comes to reveal that there is a cost for our sin, that there is eternal judgment awaiting those who do not believe. Wow. So what does that mean? Why is that such a big deal? Because many people, when they hear the gospel, are asking this question, do I actually know Jesus? Do I know God? How do I know that I know God? 
The way you know God is the spirit of truth has been placed inside of you. You will be sealed by God himself. Ephesians 1.13 says that he seals us with his Holy Spirit. Seals you. When the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you, that's not something you did. That's something he did. When he resides in you, you will think differently about your sin. When the Bible reveals your sin, when the word of God reveals your sin, you will say, I don't want anything to do with that. I'm gonna wrestle with it. I may stumble in it. I may fall back into it. But as uh, Paul will say in Romans 8, we will put to death the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. The Spirit's first and foremost role in your life is to aim at your sin and draw you into repentance. So I just want to ask you today, if you've heard the gospel and you know that Jesus loves you and he died for you and he paid the price for your sin, do you want to repent of your sin? Do you want to come and worship the King? Do you want to follow Jesus? If the answer to that question is yes, then you may know Jesus because you are falling into repentance. If the answer to that question is yes, you know Jesus because you love him, you love his word, and you want to follow him because of what has been revealed, that you are sinful and in need of a savior. Now that's different than if you say, well, I, I want Jesus so I, so I don't go to hell. I, I could care less about sin. I could care less about righteousness. Um, I just don't want to go to hell. That is not salvation. That is called self-preservation. And self-preservation doesn't get you into heaven. Self-preservation gets you to the place you're trying to preserve yourself from. What gets you into heaven is faith in the Son. And that's given to you by the Holy Spirit when he reveals sin in your life. What else does the Holy Spirit do? Look at verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Jesus is going to tell the apostles things through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. You see, we still have several books of this Bible that at the point of, in this point of the story, they don't exist. The early church has not started yet. The Bible is not finished. And so Jesus is saying, I still have many things that you need to tell the people who come after you. But right now you can't bear them. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. This is really important, church, um, because misunderstanding this verse can be really dangerous for you. Um, the apostles had a special ministry in the Bible, and it was to relay the words and teachings of Jesus to the disciples of Jesus who had not walked with Jesus. The apostles had a special ministry in the Holy Spirit that they were going to receive new revelation from God through the Spirit that would teach us how to live our lives in godliness. It would help us understand the Old Testament. It would help us understand what is to come. In fact, John is going to be the author of Revelation. And so when he says the Spirit is going to reveal to you things that are to come, this is a, this is a foreshadowing of the prophecy that John's going to give us in Revelation. Let me be explicitly clear. That time in history has passed. This verse is not about God revealing new verses, new scripture, new revelation to you. It's not about him guiding you into new truth that he still has to speak to the apostles. But rather, what this means for us 
is that what has been revealed, God will guide us into through his Holy Spirit. When I read this Bible, when I read the scripture, it's not a academic exercise. The Holy Spirit is actively working on my heart. We know this through Hebrews chapter four. It says the word is living and active, sharper than a double-edged sword. It pierces down bone, marrow, to flesh and discerns what? The issues of the heart, the content of the heart. Your heart is at aim. The Holy Spirit is a great physician and he is working on you every single time you open this Bible and you read it. So read it. He will help guide you into truth. He will guide his saints into truth. We will rub against each other. Iron will sharpen iron and we will begin to understand how God has revealed himself through his word. All right, this is, this is my, the third part of the Holy Spirit's ministry. And I want you to understand this because it's so very, very important. The Holy Spirit illuminates my mind and my heart so that I may know Jesus, so that I may be made holy. The Holy Spirit illuminates my mind. Uh, he revealed the scripture to the apostles, but for me, he illuminates, makes known what is going on in my mind so that I may know Jesus. I want you to take a look at Ephesians 1.18. This is an awesome verse. Um, it's in the context of the Holy Spirit. Paul's writing about the Holy Spirit. In verse 13, he tells us that in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He's the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. He guarantees that you will be with God in eternity. The Holy Spirit seals you. You belong to God if you have put your faith in Jesus. But I want you to see what he says in verse 18. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, illumined, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you? What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Church, let me explain to you how God saves people, how God calls men and women to himself. You'll remember in John 6 that no one comes to the Son unless they're drawn by the Father. How does the Father do that? First, he puts the word of God into the ears of those whom he will save. They will hear the gospel. They will hear the testimony of Jesus. And that testimony is borne out by the disciples of Jesus through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will testify to your heart that Jesus is who he says he is, that he died for sins and he rose on the third day and he atoned for you. And what the Holy Spirit then does is he opens the eyes of your heart a heart that was dead, a heart that was black with sin, a heart that was hopelessly lost, he illuminates it. He reveals to it the truth of Jesus Christ. And what he does is when those eyes open is he puts faith in your heart. And it's that faith that you begin to exercise as the Holy Spirit ministers to your heart and says, this is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. This is who Jesus is. That faith becomes salvation. God saves you through faith in the Son, through the ministry and the sealing work of the Holy Spirit. And why does he do that? One, because he loves you and he wants you to know him. Two, because you have to learn the voice of the Father. 
You remember at the beginning of this, uh, of our meeting today, we talked about a little girl who was on a plane and she heard the voice of her father. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice and they come when they're called. How do they know my voice? Because the Holy Spirit illuminates their minds and hearts to hear the voice of Jesus. I want to share with you a story. Uh, there was a really, really sappy movie that came out when I was in high school. It was called The Notebook. I forget the guy who wrote the screenplay or whatever, but, but basically this sappy movie, this such a sappy, it was a romantic comedy, it was a romance, and if you had a girlfriend, you had to take her to go see this movie, and so I got drug along, you know, dodged this bullet, but we had to go see this movie, and I remember the movie starts with an older man walking into a nursing home, and he goes into this room, and he sits down with this older woman, and he begins to read her a story. From a notebook. Now, what you learn as the story goes on is that this woman in the nursing home has late stage Alzheimer's disease and she can't remember things very well. She has moments of clarity, but for the most part, she's now fallen into late stages of Alzheimer's and she can't remember her past. And yet, this story reveals this love story between her and her husband. And every once in a while throughout the movie, the, the, the guy will be reading this book. He'll talk about how they met, talk about how they dated, talk about how they got married. And finally, at the end of the movie, as he reads a story, she looks up and with eyes of recognition, she goes, you're my husband. That, that was our story. And they spend the evening dancing as her mind and her heart were illuminated by the words that he read to her. I think it's a fitting picture of what the Holy Spirit does for us. We were blind, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. And in the testimony, the words of God, they're read to us, they're spoken to us, they're given to us, and to the ministry of the Holy Spirit, we come alive. It's not of our doing, it's of his. Church, I'm so excited that we got to meet together online today. I'm gonna pray for you. And then I wanna encourage you. The primary work of the Holy Spirit in your life as a believer was to save you and then to sanctify you. And so when you read the Bible, make it personal. Lord, what are you trying to take out? How can I hear your voice more clearly through your word so that I can know how to follow you and bring hope to a world that's in darkness? Let's pray.